What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hey, race fans, Hall of Famer Daryl Walter here. You know it's time to drop the green flag on another edition of Meaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator. Powered by Pacematic. So, hey, pull those belts tight one more time. Here's my buddy Hermie Sadler and Senator Bill Stanley. Boogity, boogity, boogity. Let's see what they have to say, boys and girls. I'm Virginia State Senator Bill Stanley, and I'm Gobble Gobble, leaning right. I'm former NASCAR driver and Fox Sports analyst Hermie Sadler, and I'm turning left. And I'm Shep Moss, sitting town council member for South Hill. And Shep's Happy back. Thanksgiving. There you go. Shep Moss is back. Shep Moss. How are you, Shep? I'm doing great, Senator. Hope you are. I'm doing uh, fantastic. We're sitting here in uh, Hermie Sadler's sponsor, the Vista Installations headquarters, because they have better internet, and we're trying to get as many of these in without having any kind of hiccups like we used to have in the past. I'm joined here by my son, Colin Hendrickson Stanley, who is now the, the man on the board who knows how to do, uh, to do it. And we just want to introduce, again, even though Hermie introduced himself earlier, we want to just say one more time. Hermie Sadler is in the race. Hermie, how's your race going? Um, you talking about Sadler Stanley racing? <laughs> I'm talking about the other car that's got your name on it. 17. The 17 Senate yeah, District. Um, yeah, so far, so good, man. I'm um, officially announced uh, on November 9th, and as of right now, I've just been going district uh you know committee meeting to committee meeting and getting out to as many parts of the district as i can meeting people and talking to people and getting my message out there and i know uh thanksgiving is a difficult time to ask people for money and those kind of things so right now i'm just going out reintroducing myself to people that i've known in the past introducing myself to people that may or may not know me or don't know me personally about what I'm passionate about and what I uh, plan to do if I'm elected to run for, uh, if, I, I'm, if I'm elected to Senate and uh, that'll get us through the holiday here. And, but things will really start ramping up after Thanksgiving, as far as getting out and, and getting my name out there more and, and doing more things. But so far I got to tell you the response and the people that are looking for an outsider to go represent the 17th district uh, in the Senate, over in Richmond in 2023 has been very, very good so far. And that's good. And I'm hearing a lot of excitement. A lot of people calling me up or texting me saying how exciting or how good you were at this meeting or that meeting, how you took the time to talk to people. I mean, that's the way you do it. It's a grassroots effort. And you've got probably a nominating process coming up. Um, 
you have a challenger. We, we, we're not advocating one way or the other. We're just talking about how things are going. And have you decided whether it's going to be a primary or a convention? Now, in Virginia, conventions are a dying breed because the law made them illegal after the 2023 election. Everything will be voted on for candidates by a primary. But right now you have, as I do in the 7th Senate District, which I hope to represent, uh, we have legislative district committees forming up in the month of December to determine the method of nomination. Uh, it sounds like in the 7th that I represent, well, I, that I will represent, I represent part of it right now in the 20th, uh, they're probably going with a primary uh, which I will then do my best to get my signatures, get my stuff in, and make sure that I'm on the ballot, and, and maybe I'll have an opponent, maybe I won't. Uh, what about you guys in the uh, 7th, have you, I mean the 17th? Have you, uh, have you picked a nomination process? Do you know which way that's going? Do you have a preference? Um, Bill, that's one thing that I, some may say is a disadvantage. Um, I can only say to me I'm going to try to make it an advantage. Number one, I don't get to choose that process. The committee chairs across the district uh, get to choose what that nomination method is. I, I have been trying to educate myself on, on both, but my mindset through this whole process is I'm going to handle whatever's thrown my way, and I'm going to be prepared to be successful, whatever the nomination process is, and you know, all I can do is go around, as I said before, and and make sure people uh, know who I am, what I'm about, and, and what I plan uh, to do if I'm elected. I, I will say that one thing that I've heard consistently as I'm trying to educate myself is that, historically speaking, in a convention-type setup, it, it can leave the door more open to if you want to call it backroom shenanigans and things of that nature. Sure. And that's one of the things that I've been fighting against, not only running for Senate, but also in our lawsuit and other things. You know, so if, if I'm asked my preference, I prefer, based on what I know, I prefer a primary because I think that's the most open process that gives the most people an opportunity to participate in the entire process. I also think, you know, this is a long district Bill, you know, all the way from parts of Portsmouth and Chesapeake, all the way through Isle of Wight, Franklin, Southampton County, Greensville, Brunswick, part of Dinwiddie. I think if the candidates are forced to have to get out across the whole district and work the whole district, I think it'll help name recognition and, and the people of the district knowing the candidates better so that whoever advances to the general election, I think that'll put you know put us in a better position to win the general yeah. but all that being said uh, i'm going to stay out of that process i'm going to let them do what they do decide what they decide and do my best to win whatever uh, cards were dealt yeah it's uh, i got a question for you Senator. sure go ahead i got a question real quick i just thought of something let's say that uh, it's a convention and hermy does not receive the nomination through convention is this something because I know Hermie's so passionate about these causes? Could he run as an independent or a writing? Chip, uh, that's a great question. And a great question for everybody to know in a nominating process when you accept 
uh, the nominating process and participate in it in a party venue like the Republican Party uh, primary or Republican Party convention. And your question, it's uh, there's a convention. Uh, someone else wins. Can the persons or uh, person or persons who didn't win, can they run as an independent? And we have what's called the sore loser rule uh, in Virginia that prevents that. So if you agree to run in the primary or convention and you're unsuccessful, uh, the law prohibits you and the party prohibits you from uh, participating further in the party politics, but the law prohibits you from turning and becoming a uh, an independent candidate. Now, see, in a primary, the primaries are usually held in June. So therefore, in, in, in the end, uh, there's no other nominating process that can, can happen because that's the time when people get on the ballot. Conventions are usually held in March, April, um, in those times. And so there would be enough time to run as an independent, um, but the law prevents you from doing that. So no, the answer is no, you can't run as an independent if you lose in a primary or convention in a political party nominating process. So there you go. So, um, you know, it's a, it's an interesting thing. And you know, Shep, you're right there. Um, every good candidate needs a body man. And I'm a candidate here out in the seventh, hope to have the honor of getting that nomination. I, I, like I said, I think they're going to go with primary. Primaries are great vehicles, as you said, Hermie, to get your name out more publicly because in a convention, you're trying to recruit delegates. You recruit delegates that sign up, agree to go to a mass meeting in their county or city, be elected delegates. Shenanigans can happen where they try to slate delegates, a certain number of delegates. All those delegates are get votes, not one man, one vote. If there's 10 delegates, let's say, in a, in a county that has 40% of the vote, of the total vote, it's all weighted based on turnout, Republican uh, you know, population uh, voting. And in the end, uh, then those, uh, if those 10 people go, then they have four votes apiece. And there may be, uh, conversely, you know, hundreds of people that show up in a place that's 10%, and they might get a fraction of a vote. That is a little bit more difficult because you've got to drive people not only to sign up, but then to go to a mass meeting and then make sure they go to the convention itself after they're elected as a delegate. It's a, a tougher road to hoe. It's a more closed process than a primary. But a primary, I think, with yours would allow you to kind of go on TV, get to know the general public, have the issues that are important to both of those candidates kind of vetted by the public voter and and they can listen to you in that way. So a primary probably would have a better uh, outcome for the general than a convention would. You know, and part of, as I said before, I'm whatever process we go down, whatever the committee chairs choose, we'll certainly work our hardest to, to try to do that. But what the one thing that's important to me or would be important to me, and I mentioned it a, a moment ago, is the availability for the the more people that want to get involved. We should be encouraging people to participate in the process and to be a part of the process and vote, you know, in, in the primary. And one of the things that, as I've learned, really concerns me about a convention potentially is the it, it may prohibit some people from different parts of the district from being able to participate, not because they don't want to, but, you know, one of my big things is, you know, special needs mm -hmm. kids and, and families that have special needs, um, family members that they're caring for, they may not be able to drive 
all the way across the state to somewhere to the eastern part of the state and spend all day at a convention. You know, maybe it may be first responders. It may be, you know, elderly people that, that can't participate in a, you know, in a convention because just logistically they can't, they can't participate. Mm -hmm. And so to me, we should want as many people engaged and involved in the process on the Republican side in the nominating process. So when we get to the general, we've got more people that are engaged. They know the candidates better. They know the issues where the candidates stand, all those kind of things. Because on one of my calls the last couple of days, we do a, every couple of days, we have a campaign team phone call. And my team was telling me based on this past um, midterm elections and other data, they cross it over with past elections and all that. Uh, I, I guess the experts are saying that this district, the 17th district, is a dead toss-up 50-50 district Republican-Democrat. I believe so it. So for a Republican to win, that candidate is going to have to cross over or, or earn or gain some crossover vote. And I think that gives, what gives us a better chance to do that is for as many people as possible to get to know the candidates. And we'll be forced to do that if there's a primary. And that's a good point. You know, uh, conventions are in one location one day. You got the drive out, you got the drive back, but then you sit there for three, four, five hours um, to go through the process. Uh, usually if it's two candidates, it's a, it's a one vote. 50 plus one gets you the nomination through a convention. But they have to sit there and tabulate the votes. They have to weight them. They have to do the percentages. They got to certify them. It's a long day, and you're right. It, it does require more dedication of the person who's willing to come out and participate in the nominating process than on their way to work going to their polling place uh, on primary day because they've been urged to by your campaign or, or your opponent's campaign and, and pulling the lever. So you're right about that. Um, that does kind of limit participation. I think, you know, when you say about a 50-50 split, when we looked at this district when it was made, uh, we saw that maybe 51-49 uh, Dem. But I think even that's been changing and trending more uh, Republican just because of Otto Waxman and the great job that he's done as in the House of Delegates uh, up, upsetting a long-time incumbent, Ross Tyler. Um, I think that was, you know a kind of bellwether for all of you out there. But more importantly, if you look at what the, we've been talking about in previous podcasts, uh, you're seeing a lot more African-American vote, a lot more Hispanic vote coming to the Republicans because of the policies of the Democrats that have been detrimental to, to their society, to their families, uh, to their wallets, po pocketbooks, kitchen table issues matter to them too. And I think as long as we as Republicans are able to communicate very clearly what we stand for and what we're going to do and how we can make a difference in the lives of everyone, uh, no matter what their color, race, or creed. Uh, that, I think, is going to be a deciding factor in the 7th Senate District. And you're going to need a crossover candidate. And I'm just going to say, just from my observations, the many times that I've been an employer, um, that you know, you've got that... Uh, you've got that longstanding relationship uh, and a lot of people, not just who work for you, but know you in that community and trust you. And so I would think that when it came to election time, if you were the nominee, that would probably work in your favor. Uh, and otherwise, African-American, Hispanic voters would not participate or vote for a Republican, but would not participate 
in a convention type process. So if it's that close, and that may make the difference not only in a primary, but definitely, definitely in the general election. And and let me uh, offer you some advice, Herm. Having run three races before, successfully, of course, <clears throat> um, I think you need a body man. You need a guy that's going to travel around with you, maybe has a DJ set up where, you know, you go to a strip mall and all of a sudden, and you hear the, the dulcet tones of Shep Mall saying, gather around, everybody. Here comes Hermes Sadler. I mean, a guy like that, he knows you, he loves you, he's dedicated, and he's got great DJ equipment. I think that's a lethal combination. And now that Memory Makers is, you know, they're, they're closing because they're retiring from the business. He's got a little more time on his hands, baby. So you might want to, you got to have a body man. They call them body men. They, they hold your phone for you. They make sure you get on time. They make sure the people that need to meet you come and talk well, to who, you. Who makes sure you get on time? Because that person needs to be fired. <laughs> it's my son. I was going to agree with that. I mean, Eastern Stanley time is a whole different. No, no, no. You only need, you only need it for your first election. Then after that, you can go right back to your old schedule of Eastern Stanley time. Oh, okay. Yeah. But the first time is the most important. I, I had a body man for many years, uh, uh, Richard Krause. Actually, I'm bringing him back to help me with the nominating process and the and the election process. And he was my ran my campaigns and and made sure I, the trains were running on time. And he was he was invaluable. Um, you know, you you go out and drive many miles to go to meetings, and sometimes you can drive Hermie, but sometimes he's got to drive for you so you can make phone calls, so you can reach out to voters or try to raise money. Uh, you know, those those things you need a second hand with uh, once you're elected, and if you know if. If you're doing the right job and you're not having a lot of competition, a body man's not so required. But right now, I'm going to recommend that you get a body man, and they use body mans for governors and senators, and president has a body man. You know, Obama had a body man. Trump had a body man. Does it matter? Does it matter what this body man's body looks like? Or no? <laughs> That's right. So you just call him a big body man. Uh, you know, I mean, we've seen photographs. <laughs> it's it, 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 it comes down to can he have? Does he possess the stamina to be your body man to to, to follow you around to chase you around to to lead you around? And um, I think you ought to give it a shot. I mean, I'm just making a recommendation here. Shep Moss, if, if I had a race like yours, man, I'd have Shep Moss and his, and his DJ party time equipment uh, in the back of my Cadillac. <laughs> in every... I don't think he liked my music at the golf tournament. He don't like your music. He doesn't even like the music. He's rambling at the moment. No, it's, it's, it's not rambling. It's early in the morning. Uh, it's not rambling. It's, um, I think it's a great thing, especially when he can whip out you know, a speaker and a mic and, a, and some lights and, uh, and get people uh, right over yeah. to you. So I'm just making an offer I, I can, suggestion. I can see uh, Shep, Shep Mall Shep does Malls. have uh, a, a, a regular job at, you know, at Boyd in South Hill, but I can see a scenario where whether it be before we, you know, the, you know, get this nomination process, or whenever I decide to get out and, and and get around on a on a tour of the district, I can see a scenario where we pack up in the in the in the little motorhome back here and yep. and just drive across the district from place to place to place and get out and and talk to people and maybe play a little music and have a little fun and and uh, talk to and connect with the voters. So I I can see a scenario by which that would happen. But you know, Shep Moss don't look 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 at his hair, <laughs> look at the vest, the slacks, 
He's 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 building a re- renovating a beautiful home on the lake. And I say all that to say, you know, he's he ain't cheap. He don't ride cheap. So <laughs> we'll see. Well, and and but I'm good. Yeah, uh, and there's hey, no. Let doubt me make a that. relevant point. Can I get back to relevant points? No, no, we're not done with this yet. I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to influence his campaign as much as I can. I think this is a winner. You might have to lose the shaggy, you know, Scooby Doo kind of beard thing you got working there. The I don't know. That's a little bigger than a soul patch. What would you call that thing? The shaggy. Um. I don't really have a nickname for it. I, I do know that my wife likes it. Okay, but you look like a Mennonite that, that didn't go the full underside, you know, beard action. <laughs> you just kind of stopped at the chin. You're talking about somebody's hairstyle. <laughs> yeah, I know. I have no room to talk. Hey, before we completely uh, <laughs> lose control here, I want to go back to the, to, to the question about the nominating process, and the answer is the people that decide that, can decide that and my promise or my commitment and what I know I have to do regardless is to get out and go across the district, talk to people, get to know people, answer their questions, see what's important to them and get as many people to understand why it's important for me to be in this race uh, in the 17th district and go from there. So I'm going to, I'm going to battle whatever, whatever, whatever is thrown at us. We'll, 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 we'll go after it and handle it. Yeah, and, and either- another relevant point I think, Senator, is when we go through this nomination process, and hopefully it's a primary, we want to get the Republican base energized to turn out and vote in the general. And I think that the uh, performance of Governor Yunkin has certainly energized Republicans. I think that he has done a good job so far, and I think that his performance is part of the reason that the 17th district is starting to trend more Republican than Democrat. Maybe we can flip it over to 51, 49, 52, 48 before the uh, 23 elections. Now, and, and you're exactly right. And I think we learned something from the congressional campaigns. You know, the, the red wave, uh, Hermie and I were talking about in the last episode, just was a red trickle or a red dribble. It really wasn't what it was stacked up to look like or what they expected. And I think we as Republicans have to look at ourselves. I think a lot of issues there played a role, but bad candidates, not as qualified candidates, uh, played a role as well. And we, we've we got to articulate a message, not just about what we stand for, but but to create that contrast in what the Democrats stand for. And And, you know, for me, what I see is the Democrats are transforming society to be anti-child. I mean, they're systematically destroying marriage. They're encouraging abortion, destigmatizing, you know, deadbeat dads. And they always want increased reliance on government. And then you see this overarching thing in our public schools where they're trying to sexualize our kids, send them to drag queen story time and stuff like that. And they're separating parents from the child and saying that government is better at raising the child. We've had that discussion before, but, you know, just on that, that is a kitchen table issue. That's a family issue. It's important um, to define the Democrat as someone that person should not be elected because their party stands for this. And after not losing the House uh, by a landslide to the Republicans, I think they're doubling down on this really kind of crazy agenda that they have, this woke agenda. And I think that's 
one way of not only just saying, who am I? What do I stand for? What am I going to do for you if I'm elected, as you would do, Hermie? But also, what are the Democrats really doing, uh, not just in government, but in society? What What is their end game? And it cannot be denied, as I've just said, that those points being, you know, anti-family and 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 really kind of separating children from their parents and trying to be the master over the over the child's uh, upbringing and education, I think that's disturbing, and I think it's something that we need to do a better job of articulating, especially coming up into the twenty twenty three elections. And, and Bill, you know, as I've began to learn more and more about politics and the inside workings of politics and all those kind of things. I've learned pretty quickly and am learning every day. You you can't even attempt to try to have a conversation with most Democrats. You cannot negotiate with them because ultimately what they're trying to do long term is to move what's normal closer to the left. You know, they want they want to move the, you know, what what we view as, you know, what we view as normal. They want that. They want that bar to be moved way to the left. And so, in most cases, if you try to leave the door open, or try to have compassion for other people's, in some cases, other people's views and thoughts, this new Democratic Party is not the Democratic Party of the last ten, fifteen years. They they want to take everything so far uh, to the left, and and they know that they may have to do that one issue at a time or one slide to the left at the time and those kind of things. And you really got to be careful and, and hold your ground to what we believe is right. Because if you let, what, as I say, what they really want to do is change what people view as normal. And if you take a step back and look at, at, at what they talk about and what they think is normal, it's just, it's just crazy. Chaotic. It's chaotic. It's, it's all these other things. And so you have to, you know, this is an important time for us as a as conservatives and as Republicans to hold the line, toe the line, and not fall for you know uh, these shenanigans that they're trying to pull, because again, they they want people to view something completely <laughs> crazy to be normal, and we can't let that happen. Yeah, and you know, Senator, the the uh, podcast we did from Fo Show at Hermes announcement. I said that night, and that was the day after the election, that, okay, it wasn't a red wave. And the fact that it was not a red wave should put Republicans on alert. It should energize the base. The bell has been rung. We have to do more to have quality candidates, and we have to do more to drive voter turnout. We have to do it. And I think you're right. And and not nationalize the state. Uh, campaigns that are coming up, 140 seats, 100 in the House of Delegates, 40 in the Senate, are all going to be up for re-election, all up for election in new districts. And what I don't want to see is some nationalization of our of our campaigns, of our races in 2023, as being a referendum for one candidate for president over the other in, in the Republican Party. We need to focus on what's best for Virginia, and especially kind of working on that enthusiasm that Glenn Youngkin created when he became governor in a way that is going to be positive and result in a majority that will allow his very good agenda to go forward. What, you know, in thinking about that and what you just said, uh, Shep, you know, one thing that bothers me when we're talking about families and being ripped apart, 
The Democrats are attacking Glenn Youngkin because, and we talked about this a little bit before, he changed the transgender policy that was promulgated, and and I thought horribly so in the um, in the Northam administration, especially with uh, n- separating parents from their kids, uh, not telling them if their kid uh, has a new pronoun or, or declares that they are trans, helping them uh, get with people who are trans friendly away from the parents who may disagree with them. Glenn Youngkin changes that. Uh, policy to say, okay, we're not going to have discrimination of any child who identifies a certain way, but the parents are going to be involved. The parents are going to be involved. And the Democrats' hair went on fire, you know, that, oh, no, school's no better. Um, uh, and, and to say that he's radical and that he, that he is creating hate in the world against transgenders and the gay community uh, because of that, just saying parents should be involved when a child is is going through something like this and parents consent is important to have if the school's going to treat the child a different way other than they're being raised because of what the child thinks at the time. And so that's, you know, that's something I'm even seeing just recently with that horrible tragedy that that maniac at the Colorado uh, LBGTQ bar, and I think it was called Q bar, uh, shot up the bar. Um, four people died tragically. Um, you know, it immediately the Democrats turned it into this is all because of hate. This is all because of Glenn Youngkin. Glenn Youngkin's transgender policy and his modification of the transgender policy is fomenting hate, which in which enables or emboldens these uh, these shooters to go in there and shoot up a gay bar. No, that guy was mentally infirm. He is. I mean, he held his mom hostage. You know, he, he had had made bombs and threatened to blow his mom up. This guy was a mental case who shot up a very convenient place for his own agenda or his own mental defect had nothing to do with us standing up as parents and saying, you know, hey, we want to be involved in the rearing of our rearing of our children. We don't want you to objectify or sexualize them in school. They, we don't want drag queen story time, just as in the same way. I don't want, uh, you know, heterosexual stripper story time. Or, you know, uh, you know, the guys from Chippendales reading books to my kids. I don't want that. I don't want it in either context. Well, they say, well, that's hate. You're hating the community and you're, in, you're encouraging this violence. And uh, it's just not the case. They jump on it. They don't even let the, you know, the facts of the tragedy settle in. They jump on it and make political hay out of it. And I think, unfortunately, what we're going to see is more of that maybe uh, in terms of, you know, gun control. Because we had a, another tragedy last night. Six people tragically murdered by a maniac manager at a Walmart in Chesapeake, Virginia, close to you guys, uh, walked into, I think, a break room at 1030 at night and started shooting up the joint and then killed himself. Uh, what a coward all the way through. What a what a maniac. And now, you know, rather than worrying about the, the lives that were lost and the families that are affected, I'm sure the Democrats in Virginia are going to immediately go to see gun control, gun control and hate. And uh, because, you know. It may be that uh, that doesn't fit their narrative of hate necessarily, but quite frankly, it will fit their gun control. They're never going to lose the opportunity to take a tragedy and try to bash conservatives over the head with uh, it, and I'm just not going to stand for it. Yeah, you can see that on social media right away. I mean, right away, the liberal and democratic politicians first thing they want to say is we got to get guns under control and you know to 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 hell with all the everyday crime that goes on 
uh, not only around the Commonwealth of Virginia, but other localities that nobody seems to be concerned as much about. Nobody wants to support law enforcement enough. They want to defund the police, all that. You know, they've got this narrative that goes this way. And then anytime there's a, a tragedy that's going to get some mainstream national media attention, they jump right in, you know, with, um, you know, with, 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 with their narrative and, you know, we got to do something about guns. We got to do something about guns. And it's, you know, I, I always have believed and will always believe if you take guns away from the law abiding citizens, the crazy people or the sick people or whatever you want to call them, then they're the only ones that has guns. And so I just don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, that's another reason I always say I'm an outsider. I'm not a politician. I don't understand it. I don't understand or like, or will tolerate the practice of picking and choosing events and tragedies and things that people's families are affected and use them to, to turn them into some type of a political game. There's no time for it. There's no place for it. Um, you know, we've got to focus on, how do we address mental health? How do we, you know, it, there's things that we can do, uh, but they want to go right to the, you know, to the point that they're trying to make is if there were no guns, this wouldn't happen. And all of us know in most reasonable Virginians and Americans understand that also. And in this case, if I'm not mistaken, I was listening to a press conference on the way into the uh, Saddler for Senate World Headquarters here in Emporia. <laughs> But I believe they said that it was a pistol. So it wasn't an AR-15, which is not going to fit the Democrats' narrative as far as high capacity, you know, weapon, automatic weapon. Of course, obviously, the pistol can be as deadly and has proven to be so. But this is going to be a little different spin on it, too, in my opinion, because of the weapon that was used. Yeah, and and, and even think about the tragic killing um that was just four students at a college were tragically killed in their apartment. Uh, that was a knife. In fact, they said it was a Rambo style knife. Um, people who have hate in their hearts for their other fellow human being are going to do what they're going to, or going to try to do what they want to do with regard to that. I think it's the bigger issue gentlemen is a mental health issue. You know, I was seeing where uh, I was reading a report where Gen Z after the pandemic, 60, 70% of them are, comp are are claiming or have been diagnosed with mental health issues. That's the generation that's supposed to take care of us when we're in firm and in old age and take care of the society. But we're not addressing the mental health issue at all. Um, you know, this guy in Colorado was on the police's radar. They did nothing to protect him. They didn't keep guns away from him. Uh, he got off pretty easy when he was charged with, uh, uh, you know, trying to blow up his mom, the charges were dropped, but they knew he was a nutbag and nutbags have their own agenda inside their head. Doesn't mean that it's been created or encouraged by, you know, a civil debate on whether who's, uh, you know, who's got control over the rearing and raising of your children or Glenn Youngkin's um, modifications to encourage parental involvement in a transgender policy for our public schools. I mean, that didn't cause that guy to do what he did. We don't know what caused the Chesapeake shooting, um, but it 
but ultimately they turn it all, boil it right down into politics that fits a narrative that's inconvenient for them. And then they try to bash us over the head with it. I mean, you know, if we're, if we're on where we're not as sure footed as they are in turning tragedy into politics, it's because usually as Christians and conservatives and, you know, we step back and, and reflect, we pray. I'm sorry. They say thoughts and prayers aren't good enough. Well, you know what they are. And, you know, because fate is driven by the Lord, the hand of the Lord, but ultimately we're back there, you know, kind of just trying to soak it all in and be compassionate. And they immediately run out and, and point fingers at us and say, it's because of your hate. It's because of your hate. This happened because of you, because you're a hater. And um, it's really quite sad. And unfortunately, I think hopefully the American public is not only growing tired of these mass shootings, but also of the rhetoric that comes out and immediately politicizes a horrible tragedy that was caused by a maniac, not by the exchange of ideas in discourse and free speech. Yeah, it's really frustrating for them to use tra tragedies to advance their political beliefs. It's also frustrating most of the time, two, three weeks after these types of events, we learned that they were yellow flags or red flags that, that people should have, may have picked up on, chose to ignore different little things that, that we've got to do better at, at capturing. But th this whole this whole message of it's the weapon and not the user or the mental health of the user gets lost in the in you know in all the uh, all the uh, the narrative created by liberals. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you you know we, we all look at things in in to a degree, Bill, based on our personal our life experiences of what we've been through. And I've never said this to many people privately, certainly never said it publicly, but my grandfather was murdered by a crazy man driving a vehicle. He was murdered, <laughs> purposely run over by somebody who decided to use a vehicle as a weapon and killed my grandfather when I was four years old. Oh my goodness! So, what, what's 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 the narrative on that? <laughs> I mean, who, who 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 do we blame? So you know, I mean, it's just a you know, you, you, we have to do a better job of drilling down on what the issues are behind. We, I, I, you would think, we could all agree that. For somebody to use a car or to somebody to use a weapon to go in and inflict harm on other people, family members, strangers, for any reason, we have to agree that there's an issue with that person, something that triggers them to act in an irrational way. And but you know, all it all it always comes back to. We got to take the guns. We've got to take the guns away from even the people that legally carry and have guns and and otherwise. But we've got to address the core problems and 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 get away from the political narratives that that people want to push in tragedies like this. Bill, I got one for you too. Now, now we can go real deep since Hermie went uh, open that door, but. Uh, 
many of your listeners probably don't know, my mother was a victim of suicide. Oh, my. And as Hermie has said, that she, you know, you're dealing with mental health issues. There were some business issues, some financial issues. If I had to bet, my mother would not have known how to pull a trigger on a gun, much less use it against herself. And reflecting back over the last 30 years, I'm convinced that if my mother had not used the gun, she was going to use another method. It would have been, you know, a razor blade to the wrist, a, a pill overdose. She was at the point in her life, in her in her mental state, she was going to end her life. Now, it just happened that it was a use of a gun, but I don't blame the gun for that. Uh, you know, I certainly haven't gone off on a on a, a liberal tangent to to ban all guns or ban weapons because I realize now she had some mental health issues that we just weren't aware of. Wow. Well, I'm sorry for your loss, both of you. I mean, that's tragedy uh, in in the worst form when you when you lose a family member to an act of violence or even at their own hand. There's there's just sometimes no way to contemplate what caused or how it happened or why it happens to us. But in life, since its beginning, um, man has the ability to harm another man. And mankind's history has demonstrated over and over where that's occurred um, in barbaric ways throughout history. And we never quite understand in the end um, what could possess somebody to do such a thing, such as the Chesapeake shooting, such as the Colorado shooting. It is horrible, ungodly. Uh, it is evil. And we've got to do something about it. But, but, you know, blaming the gun or blaming politics or someone's political beliefs is not the way to solve the issue. It just, I think, creates more of that issue. You know, we've got to look at mental health. There are things that we have to do to do this differently. You're never going to eliminate this. But you can be better about preventing it or lessening it from occurring. You know, Hermie and, and Shep, I don't know about you guys, but when I was growing up, we didn't have school shootings. We didn't have, I remember there's, you know, back in the early 60s, there was some dude at the University of Texas at the, uh, at the clock tower shooting people with a high-powered rifle. But I don't remember stuff like this. And, you know, and I always wonder, and I have conversations with my wife, Laura, you know, when God was taken out of school, um, we've seen more violence in school and we've seen more violence with children. When families are removed from, from being the centerpiece of, of raising good human beings to be good citizens uh, and, the, and the government is instead put in control or we're encouraging um, uh, bad behavior on the part of, part of parents uh, or, or, or taking away their responsibilities or their obligations, uh, then we see stuff like this happen more and more and more. And it's a decay and deconstruction of our society that bothers me the most. And the government seems to be encouraging it, you know, and I don't know about you guys, but I got my hand wrapped by a ruler once or twice and it cured me. Uh, we didn't have time out. Uh, things were tough, but things were loving at the same time in school. We, you know, we, we did the pledge of allegiance and, and said a prayer every morning. Uh, the 10 commandments were above the chalkboard. Uh, now that we've ripped all of that out and we're taking parents out of the school uh, system, I, I, I see a correlation between the rise in violence, the rise in bullying, 
the rise in, in, in violence on the street. And I see a direct correlation between that and what we've done in degrading society and morals and values uh, as a part of growing up and being a responsible human being. Well, Senator, tomorrow I'm going to have lunch with my sixth grade school teacher. It's funny you mentioned that. Many of our listeners in this area will know her. I know Hermie knows her, Miss Laura Pinchback. She was my sixth grade teacher, and she had a ping pong paddle on her desk, and she would use it. And, you know, I've never forgotten the lessons. You know, you, you always reflect back through your school years of who were your inspirations and who were your most impressionable teachers. And I will never forget Miss Laura Pinchback. Yeah. She is just one that uh, was a lady of the South. She was a Southern belle. She taught that way, and she groomed her students to be good people. And if you weren't a good student, you would get that ping pong paddle. No question about it. Well, there's some, there's some things that we're just not going back to, and I get that. But, like, when I was growing up at my house, I mean, I had a good, loving home, do the right things. But let me tell you, when I did wrong, I was I went home, go outside and get a switch off the tree and, <laughs> and wait for your daddy to get home. I mean, that's what it was. So it was a respect thing. Oh, pick a belt. Yeah. I had to pick a belt. You know, it, it, was a, it, was, it was a respect thing. If you knew, if you grew up as a kid knowing that if you didn't act right, there were consequences, that's, that's really what's missing with a lot of what's going on today. People don't think there's consequences. When people, you know, my one of my stores out here at Skipper's got robbed at gunpoint almost three months ago. And know that. nothing. I mean, it, no suspect. Nothing has been done. Now, I'm sure it's on video. Yeah. No arrest. And, not yet. Wow. No. But even people that commit crimes, you know, they're they're back on the street in five hours. I mean, there's no accountability. The A word. There's no accountability. If people really knew that there were consequences, severe consequences for bad behavior, whether it be in school with the ping pong paddle or the switch, or my dad had this belt that he would get me with the buckle end of the belt. <laughs> and he would make it, and if, if he swung and missed, and I squealed when he missed, that made him even madder. Now we know all the problems, Senator. <laughs> Everything has just been explained. Yeah. Well, it just, was that buckle upside well, down. What would Hermie Sadler be if he hadn't gotten a, uh, the uh, the spanking, you know, that he probably <laughs> richly deserved? Uh, he'd he'd be a wild man. You go, you go. You gonna scream when I miss? You just hold tight one more second. Um, but you know, I mean, the intent was not to, you know, to harm. You. To harm is to is to try to teach you respect and what's right and wrong and law and order. Yeah, law and order in my house was my dad. You know, and so uh, you you either adjust your your behavior or your way of thinking, and that really, uh, to me all these years later has really helped me. I try to always be respectful to other people, where they came from, what they went through, their living arrangements, you know, uh, all those kind of things. But, I, but I do think we would, if there was a little more law and order and accountability in the household, 
growing up that we would not have as many of the problems that we've got now, especially with youth and teenagers and stuff like that in our communities. Yeah. And I mean, it's, you've seen crime go up, the smash and grabs going up. I was in a store where I had to get a lady to go get a key to get my deodorant because they have it behind lock and key because of theft. It's ruined the retail business. I mean, it's, it's amazing that, you know, I can't get my deodorant uh, without, you know, and the toothpaste, I mean, stuff in there, you know, that you, you would normally just grab off the shelf. Well, it's because people are grabbing it off the shelf. Crime rates up. Thieving is up. Murder and violent crime is up. After the pandemic, it's up. It's especially up in Democrat run cities. Uh, and we don't have an answer. And it seems like the politicians don't seem to care. And I don't know about you guys, but I care. And I think it, again, is a systematic failure of, of our society encouraged by the government uh, to devalue um, that family relationship. You know, today, Hermie, if that had happened, you know, about getting that switch and then getting a whooping, and I got a whooping and it happened one time and I never wanted it again. So I made sure I was either sneaky enough or I never did anything wrong. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but ultimately, I would go with sneaky. Right. But to, in today's world, uh, Hermie, uh, big Herman, uh, Mostly that the, the schools teach the kids to call social services. And I've had clients who who raised that way, um, gave the belt to them. They earned it. They deserved it. The kids call social services. Next thing you know, the, the family's under investigation. Uh, the kids are taken away from them, put in foster care. That's the reality because now you can't do it anymore because the government intercedes and, and, and says, we know better than you parent on the way you're raised. It's an amazing um, thing that we've got to change as people. I'm not, I'm not encouraging corporal punishment necessarily, but let me tell you, I was not from the timeout generation. Okay. It was very clear what right and wrong was from my dad and my mom. And, you know, I think I, wanna... I never, Hey, the, the police never had to worry about Hermie because I was way more concerned or afraid of my dad than I was any <laughs> law enforcement officer. Yeah. You know, at any time. So I think, you, I mean, to your point, there's a balance. I mean, we things that this is 2022. So I'm not saying that we need to go back to switches and belts and, and all those things. But I am saying that a lack of respect and a lack of structure and a lack of accountability in some households as they're raising kids leads them to think that they can get out and do and do bad things and hurt other people and steal and, and, and do all those things and get away with it. And we've got to, we've got to, we've got to work on that. It's just, it's just, it's really sad in, in all these communities like we live in now. And I think we can, I think we can do better, but it's got to start at home. Senator, I want to circle back around to something you mentioned. You were talking about retail and, you know, memory makers uh, you know, Hermes building, his business was, was out of armed robbery. We just had the shooting down at Walmart in Chesapeake, as we've discussed. This is what's happening to business. Now, my wife, she's there working alone or has one employee there with her. Uh, minimum wage is going up to $13 an hour, eventually $15 an hour. We have, uh, 
people on the street that have mental health issues. As Hermie just said, his store was at gunpoint. Who wants to go to work? Who in Chesapeake wants to go to work today? Because if that shooting can happen at Walmart, it can happen at the business they're in. You know, this is just such a deep societal issue. And, it, of course, on town council there in South Hill, like all areas, we're trying to attract businesses and, and manufacturing there to our town. And the biggest drawback we have is the labor force. Well, who the hell wants to work when you have to go to work and look over your shoulder constantly or work in fear that some nut job is going to come running through the door with a knife or a tire iron or, you know, a machete or a gun. We've just got deep societal issues. You don't know if the guy's maybe strung out on drugs. If he's having financial issues, he's just lashing out because his dad hit him with a belt buckle. I don't know what the problems are, but it is ruining it's just ruining the root of our society and our family values. I'm with you, Shep. And uh, look, government you know, can't solve. I don't solve. want my wife sitting there working alone yeah. in a retail store, a beautiful, attractive lady in there by herself. It's just not It's not fun anymore, and it's just not worth it anymore. And that's sad because what it's doing is it's uh, slowing the growth of entrepreneurship, uh, the backbone of, of society is small business and the family. Government cannot solve society's ills, it, but it can do something about law and order. Uh, we've talked about this on the show before. I'm going to say government's pillars of why we allow the government to govern us is that it protects us in matters of public safety, uh, infrastructure, and then also in education of our children. Those are the str- – yeah. Infrastructure that is economic development, roads, bridges, tunnels. Uh, it's public safety, which is law and order, and it's public schools. It's educating the masses so that we have an educated workforce. That's it. Uh, the rest is on society. But right now, what you have is a government encouraging society to be broken down. They like it that way. Defund the police. Take away funding. Allow uh, violent criminals back out on the street without even have to, having to post a bond. Maybe lacking now because the police morale is so down in the sheriff's department and the city police officers that you have less officers to investigate crimes, less officers to protect uh, general society. We've shown a lack of respect for our men and women in blue. So, you know, why would they want to do that job when they're not even appreciated by society? It's not heralded as one of those jobs that is one of the higher pillars of virtue in protecting society. we got to get back to that stuff, guys. And so, you know, this is a heck of a conversation. And what I want to do now is we're going to take a break, and then we're going to come back. I want to talk about what it's like being dads, you know, and especially dads in a 21st century woke society. And so when we come back, uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about what it means to us about being fathers. But first, before we do that... We have a guy, Shep, who's going to read some very important. No, 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 not yet. Not yet. What? But before we do that, we got to thank our paying sponsor, Pacematic. Oh, absolutely. Let's let's do that first. I know. I know you want to get to the to the other one. I'm very anxious to hear. You got another man here that's going to read it. We'll do that coming back. Okay. Before we get into the second part of the discussion, but. (laughs) <laughs> the sponsor that pays the bills that we want to thank yes. is Pacematic. And to the people at Pacematic, as we get to the holiday season, they remind you that community 
means everything. And when people come together, anything is possible. Pacematic is a proud supporter of the Smart Modified Tour, the Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator podcast, and Sadler Stanley Racing. Pacematic firmly believes in building up the communities in which they do business, and they consider it a privilege to give back and provide support in any way that they can. For more information, visit Pacematic. That's www.pacematic.com www.paseomatic.com. And Bill, we appreciate Pacematic for their support and our podcast and Saddle Stanley Racing and all the platforms they give us to have conversations like this one. And this first one uh, today has been a, been a moving one in many ways. Indeed. And Pacematic's a great family operated, family owned business that helps small businesses. And they got to be stoked that we got Bobby Labonte driving the Pacematic SSR 18 in the Smart Modified Series and Wheeling National NASCAR Open Open Wheel Modified Series. They just got to be pumped because they got a Hall of Famer now uh, who's you know driving around with their with their logo on the car, and he's such a great spokesman. So uh, we love Pacematic. We love the people there. We want to wish them a happy Thanksgiving, happy holidays. Uh, to all their employees, a great bunch of people, but we're very proud to be their sponsor. Or we're proud so to have we them back, as our we'll sponsor. A, a, when we come back, we'll have a conversation about being dads during the holiday season, and you'll also get to hear Ship talking about D's. <laughs> D's nuts? <laughs> Got <he. laughs> Oh, wow. That's going to be awesome. That's it. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be right back. Uh, please li- give a listen to our other sponsors uh, who support the show. We'll see you in a sec. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hi, folks. This is Hermie Sadler. Thanks for listening to our all-new podcast, Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator. I hope you are enjoying the show as much as Senator Stanley and I enjoy bringing it to you. Whether you're a family traveling together or a truck driver hauling freight up and down the highway, I hope you will take the time to visit one of our Sadler Travel Plaza locations in Virginia and North Carolina. Sadler Travel Plaza locations are licensed dealer locations for pilot travel centers. And we also carry Shell Motiva Petroleum products for our four-wheel friends. We pride ourselves on providing one-stop shopping for service, food, and entertainment. Our food options include Five Guys Burgers and Fries, Quiznos, Dairy Queen, Hermie Sadler's Faux Show Bar and Grill, Victory Lane Restaurant, Hunt Brothers Pizza, Dunkin' Donuts, and much, much more. Our locations include Sadler Travel Plaza in South Hill, located off I-85 at Exit 12, the Sadler Travel Plaza of Emporia, which is conveniently located on Exit 11B off I-95, and Sadler Travel Plaza on Highway 58 in Suffolk. We also have our North Carolina location, Sadler Travel Plaza in Dunn, North Carolina. That's exit 75 off I-95. We appreciate all of our customers. And Bill and I appreciate you listening to Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator, powered by Pace of 
Hey, this is Bill Stanley, Hermie Sadler's sidekick on this podcast. When I'm not in Richmond at the Capitol or doing this podcast, my real job for the past 27 years is as a trial attorney with the Stanley Law Group. Here at the Stanley Law Group, we represent our clients in every courthouse in the Commonwealth. No problem is too small for us to solve. No case is too big for us to win. Whether it's criminal charges, traffic offenses, civil disputes, litigation matters of any sort, we handle it all. We make sure that we treat every client like family because they are to us. Your problem is our problem. Your success is our success because we hate to lose more than we love to win. And believe me, we win a lot. Don't believe me? Go ask Hermie. I'm his favorite lawyer, and he hates lawyers. So give us a call at 540-721-6028 and let us help you. Or visit our website at www.vastanleylawgroup.com. That's www.vastanleylawgroup.com. At the Stanley Law Group, we'll make sure we're the lawyers that you swear by and not at. And we're back. I'm Virginia State Senator Bill Stanley, and I'm leading right. And I'm Hermie Sadler, and I'm turning left, and Shep Moss, you have the floor. Shep Moss. Well, going over to some of our... Uh, don't, don't get to the commercial. Just read it. Just read, <laughs> just read it. it. We don't need your... <laughs> don't need nothing. Just read it. Just All read right. It. Sing it. Tis the season for clean balls. Fa-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la. So you got to slow down a little bit. You're going too fast. Oh. Yeah. Start over. I was trying to get a, a rhythm. <laughs> Tis the season for clean balls. Fa-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la. Our friends at Manscaped are helping you clear your driveway for safe travels this holiday season. From stocking stuffers to white elephants, Manscaped products are at the top of every wish list. Grab some crop mops for your pops or the body buffer for the (laughs) holiday lover. Win this year's white elephant gift and help all the men in your life go from eggnog to nice hog this December by going to manscaped.com and using Sadler for 20% off plus free shipping. Fantastic. Now, I've got the Manscaped products. I've got the, the body wash. I've got the uh, Preci- Precision Package 4.0 for my package. It's, it's a wonderful thing to get during the holidays for your, for your loved ones, for your brothers, your, your boyfriends, your husbands, um, even the postman, if he's a dude. Uh, that would be a nice gift. So we love Manscaped. You know, they, also, they also have the other products from the men's boxers to the body buffer and started using a loofah. So be sure to uh, peruse their website, the entire website, while you're there at manscaped.com. And what do they do again at checkout to get that 20% in free shipping? Just enter the promo code SADLER, that's S-A-D-L-E-R, SADLER, to receive 20% off and free shipping. Hermie loves that. He really, really does. He needs a body buffer. And as you're using the products in your premium package 4.0, think about old Hermie while you're doing it. <laughs> you know I do. <laughs> Thank you, Manscaped.com. Thank you for the sponsorship. <laughs> I bet you do. <laughs> yes, yes, I do. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we're very proud to have Manscaped.com as our one of our sponsors, and uh, and we hope that you uh, go to their website and, uh, as, as Shep says, peruse the website and find the product that's right for you. It's about time that a company steps up, steps out, and says men's grooming is just as important 
uh, in your life as anything else that you do. So uh, take advantage of the 20% off and the promo code Sadler, Sadler, Sadler at checkout. Get free shipping anywhere in the United States, anywhere in the world. Go to manscaped.com. Thank you, Manscaped. So okay, we're so now how do we transition into this new conversation you want to have? Well, you know, I, I think it's important, especially during the holidays, to to really kind of talk about what we were talking about earlier, which is about being a dad. And uh, and I've got my man Chandler here. I've got uh, Colin here. I've got my two sons here at the office. Uh, we basically have everybody here at the office, including my wife, except my daughter, uh, Aubrey. But um, but say hi, Chandler. Hi. Chandler, how old are you? Eleven. And Chandler, um, would you agree with me that you have the best father in the world? Yes. Would, would you also agree that I'm the only father? <laughs> so you don't have a choice, right? That cannot be proven. <laughs> He's got no, the headphones let me, let me on correct so he can Colin. hear you. <laughs> Colin, uh, happy Thanksgiving. Good to see you, buddy. I know you're happy we got Bobby Labonte driving the, the Sadler Stanley Racing car for next year, but... What you meant to say is your dad has the coolest friends of anybody in America. That's what you meant to say. Is that right? I do have some cool friends, don't I? <laughs> That's right. Well, now he's getting shot. Hermie, yes. Shep Malls, you not so much. Malls? But you average them together, and you still come up with something pretty good. You like Shep Malls? Shep Malls? I don't know. You don't know him? Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> this proves to you. Now, have I ever... Chandler, I'm the guy that has cooler hair than your dad. That's true. See? Chandler, have I ever made you go outside and pick a, a branch off a tree to beat your butt with for when you've done wrong? You and Mom haven't done that. Okay. But do we not uh, employ discipline, right? Mom yells at you and I lecture you for an hour. Is that about right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. And are you a good boy so far? Yes. You get good grades? I get. I almost got 10 hundreds. I told you this. Yes, on all your quizzes. Yeah, yes. you're a very smart boy. You get that from your mama. Okay. And uh, and you like you like having a dad? You like having a mom, right? Mm-hmm. You like what we tell you all the time, right? Yeah. All the time. Whatever we tell you to do, you love it. Sometimes. What are you playing, Santa Claus? What is this? <laughs> Just trying to show. Luckily, <laughs> luckily, luckily for Chandler, he got my sponsor, Laura Stanley, with Vista Installations. Chandler got her good looks, personality, True. and brains. True. Chandler, you're one lucky young fellow. <laughs> you got none of Dad's uh, bad traits, right? You don't have bad traits. Thank you. Say that again. <laughs> No. <laughs> no? Louder. Okay. Yeah, say it louder. Say, Bill Stanley, you don't you're have not, You're not fooling you us. I know why you're having this conversation. Chandler's over there. You got him working on his Amazon Christmas list. Uh-huh. So, yeah. yeah. No, it's my mom. Yeah. She, she didn't say anything about she, it. She goes to, he goes to mom for the Christmas list because she's got the Amazon account. I don't, I, mean, I don't blame you. I'm a traditionalist that goes to the store still. You know, I'm old-fashioned. But mom uses the Amazon. So he just, you put things on her list, right? Is that what you do? Um, I did last year. Okay. Are you going to do it again? Okay. I don't know. Are you on vacation for thir- Thanksgiving? Yeah. Already? On Wednesday? We never had that in my life. Time. We always went to school on Wednesday. Well, but that's anyway. sad. <laughs> that is sad. All right, Chandler. Uh, we're going to let you go back and play with your games, right? You ready? Mm-hmm. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Leaning right and turning left with Sadler and your dad. 
<laughs> All right. See, that's there you go. So say goodbye. See you, Chandler. Bye. Happy Chandler. Thanksgiving. Bye. Say happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. And then tell Mr. Savage. Don't spend that nice money he just Christmas. paid you all in one place either. Yeah, yeah. And make your dad eat all the pies, cakes, yes. turkey, <laughs> dressing, gravy, sweet tea, mashed all potatoes. of it. mashed potatoes. Make him eat heavy for the entire weekend. They're, they're trying to trick you because uh, we have a weight loss challenge that is not going very well here on the podcast. But here, son. There you go. That's there. an understatement. Here's the 20 for you for, for saying all the nice things about your dad. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Right. And he took it. <laughs> he, he took it. And it is a 20. I thought about giving him a dollar, but he'd start complaining on air. So I didn't want that to happen. <laughs> Thanks, Jim, man. All right. 20 spot. So, so that's a good way to, to open up. I've got basically almost all my family here. But, you know, I mean, I have a burning question that I really want to know. Shep, can you tell us exactly the steps it took for you to become a dad? And in, in detail. <laughs> Oh, in detail. <laughs> well, let's hear it. What happened was, I got on the ferry. <laughs> How fast did the ferry go? 17. 17 miles. But, uh, it went faster than I did. All right. So, um, so, and I'm about ready to, tomorrow on Thanksgiving, I'm celebrating my anniversary with my wife, my beautiful wife, Laura. And I've got three kids that kind of started out a little later in life being a father. You guys uh, all have pretty much grown children. Is that right? Yeah, I've got a 27 and a 21-year-old. Wow. So two sons, two hellions. And mine are 25, 24, and Naomi just turned 20. Wow. And so you've gone through, you know, the raising of children, but, you know, you never stop raising them. Uh, mine are 20, about to be 21. Uh, that's Colin. Um, my daughter, who's 17, and, of course, as a girl, um, things always change when you're a teenage girl. And then uh, my boy there, Chandler, that we just heard from is 11. So I've got him kind of spread out there. But, uh, you know, what's it, what was it like? Are y'all done? Friends? Are y'all done? We're done. Yeah, we're done. <laughs> oh, okay, just making sure. The platinum package is, is ended. <laughs> <laughs> that may be part of it. I don't know. Uh, but we, we would actually, my wife and I get baby fever a lot. Um, but, you know, I'm 55. and Right now when Chandler graduates, I'll be like 66. So, you know, it's uh, it's it's it's, you know. When he graduates from college, at least. Um, I don't know. I, I'd love to have another kid. But uh, uh, we actually had a tragedy in our life uh, where um, our daughter was born and then passed away. And my wife almost died in delivery. Uh, the hospital told her to have an abortion. She would not do that. The child fought for life for three and a half hours. She was beautiful. She was 26 and a half weeks. Um, and we named her Grace, and because it was a grace of God that we were given her, even for that short time. And I know I'll see, him, see her again, but after that, we haven't had the ability to because it would put my wife's health at risk. And she wants to, but um, I don't know what I'd do without her. Um, I'd have no, yeah, I'd have no governor. I'd have no course. Uh, and so, uh, but we're blessed with three beautiful, healthy children um, that all look like their mother. Thank God. All have the smarts of their mother, just like you said, Herm. And um, and so, you know, it has been um, a real whirlwind. I'm going through all three parts, the adult part, the the teenager that thinks you suck part right now, and then the 11-year-old who is uh, finding his own way and definitely has my personality, if not uh, if having the wife's looks and smarts. So, 
you know, what I've found in, in today's society, you, and you guys are going to have a different perspective because your children are almost like a generation back. Um, but I'm fighting against these things like uh, access to the internet, uh, access to information, access to people that can come in your lives through the computer, uh, uh, threats of harm. Um, we have a lot of things that uh, I don't think I ever had to deal with as a child. My parents never had to deal with as a parent. But I always go back to the to the same point uh, I think Hermie made earlier, which was, man, I had a hell of a dad for 21 years. And he taught me so much and gave me so much guidance. He was there for me even when he was deployed flying for the Navy in uh, across the oceans. Uh, but he gave me a sense of value and worth along with my mother who was there when he wasn't, uh, that really shaped my life moving forward. As a father now, it is funny, as a young man when he died at 21, when I was 21, he was 51, um, I was really kind of mad at the world. I was even mad at God. How could you take my father away from me? But every year since then, I've noticed that what he was teaching me in those 21 short years, I now apply as being a dad. And so I find myself being him. But the problem is, I'm being a dad from the 70s and 80s in a 21st century world. And it's a real you know, struggle with me because I'm trying to deal with, do you give them a cell phone? Well, the answer is no. Uh, do you, you know, how much access do you give them to the internet? Uh, all of these new challenges that they're facing, all of these things coming at them and a society around them uh, that, you know, in a school system that wants to have a drag queen reading hour. Um, and teachers trying to influence how we raise our children or uh, other parents not raising their children in the traditional ways that we, my wife, Laura, and I raise our children being in conflict because I don't know about you guys, but I hear, well, you know, Tommy's mom doesn't do that. Um, and so it's a real challenge. What do you, when you guys were early on in fatherhood, I mean, you know, obviously nobody's a father until the father for the first time. What did you guys use and rely on in terms of raising your own kids before we get to that you had asked shep how did he make his babies and i want to hear that explanation <laughs> well i know he was on the ferry i told you i went to dinwiddie took a left and got on the ferry <laughs> well bill you know my my uh journey through fatherhood is i think going to be very similar to hermes but not on the same level you know, when my kids were born, I was busy trying to make a living. You know, at the time, back then, my main income was DJing. I was playing 120, 125 times a year, you know, literally four nights a week. And by the grace of God, I was able to meet my wife, Terry. I think it's safe to say all three of us definitely married up. But Terry raised my two boys. And, you know, it's, it's funny. We go through different periods of life. I've spent the first 45 years trying to build up uh, whatever type of legacy and, and, and family and, and something to pass on to my boys. Uh, but now it's funny. Every decision that I think Terry and I make is really solely based on how it's going to affect our, our boys. And, you know, what does this do for them 10 years down the road? Uh, you know, both of my parents are deceased, so I have a totally different uh, outlook 
on it now than I did even say three years ago when my father was still living. Uh, but you know, my oldest son, just like your son, Colin there is in the, uh, fire service and mm-hmm. paramedic. And, you know, he's been one of my, uh, proudest achievements because I know that that his positive effect on lives every day and, and saving lives and and uh, giving birth to life life on the side of the interstate and all the, the cool stuff they get to do, that's been one of my proudest achievements. And then my youngest son, Patrick, he has uh, faced his own challenges. He's faced them head on and, you know, he's done some great achievements personal achievements for him. So I'm equally appreciative and, and proud of him uh, as well. But it's been two different two different journeys with the two sons, no, no, no question about it. Uh, you know, Patrick, my youngest one, graduated in 19. So right before COVID started, you know, and I've said for two years, three years now, I'm so glad that he was out of school when COVID started. Now he was in community college, but as far as high school, he was out of that. So we didn't have to deal with what a lot of parents are dealing with now. Uh, and things have certainly changed a lot in the last three years for parents. It's, it's tough. Uh, <clears throat> but everything we do now is based on how is this going to benefit or affect our two boys? Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're lucky to have, you know, those great sons and certainly they, then they get into a, you know, a job. And I, I worry about Colin, even though he's almost 21, even more, he's a paramedic. He's seeing things that quite frankly, you know, the reality of life, whether it's an auto accident or a shooting or, you know, or, or giving birth on the side of a highway. I mean, that is quite an experience that I never had at his age. I know your son's the same way. Uh, and, and sometimes you feel helpless as a father guiding them. Because at 2021, 20, I remember I believed I knew everything and, and I've had a perfect son. I, I don't know if I told you this story, guys, but when he was 19, I looked at him one day, I grabbed my car keys and I, and I tried to hand them to him. And he said, what's that? I said, go wreck my car. He's like, why? It's like, because you're, <laughs> you're too, you've never done anything wrong. And, and he's always been a very dedicated young man and, and dedicated to his studies, dedicated to helping others. You know, he started out as a lifeguard at 15, 16. So it's always been his pathway. I'm very lucky. And I think my wife, just like yours, was a great guiding principle in a lot of what he's become. And I'm very proud of him as well. But, um, you know, you still don't stop worrying about him even when they turn 21. What about you, Herm? Yeah, um, I, I can honestly sit here and say that, you know, I've lived a crazy life and gotten to go places and do things that I never thought I would as a kid growing up. And the only three things that I am certain that I've done right is my three daughters. Mm-hmm. And um, I I am so lucky. We, we talk about, you, know, you talk about Laura and Terry and and you know, my life and, and my work, you know, back in those days, especially when Cora was born, I was racing full time. And I remember, um, you know, Angie and I got married in February of 96. Cora was born in January, the end of January, 1997. And that was in between me testing at Daytona and going back to race at Daytona. And, you know, we planned uh, everything around planned everything around my schedule so I could get back home after testing 
you know, before we got back. And so Cora was born on January 29th. And then, you know, the first week of February, 10 days later, we were in the motorhome headed to Daytona wow. uh, with Cora in a bassinet illegally riding in the middle of the floor, you know, <laughs> down the road in the motorhome. Um, but those first few years, it was, it was so awesome to, you know, to, to be, I still, even though Angie and I had dated for six or seven years prior to getting married, you know, newlyweds, got a baby, I got a great job, I'm, you know, getting on the road and, and, and Cora will tell you, I mean, she used to love, we put her on the bed in the back of the motorhome with the, with the engine running. She got right to sleep. Didn't matter how upset she was or something was going on. You put her on that bed with that diesel engine running in the back of the motorhome and boom, she was out hmm. and she went all over the country with us. And then, you know, the, the next year Haley comes along and things were still great. You know, I got two daughters and my wife going around with me. And then of course, as most people know by now that listen to this and, uh, by the time Haley was two and a half, you know, she got diagnosed with autism. And so that kind of threw a kink in the, in the works as far as us traveling around the country as a one big happy family. Cause you know, I had to keep working, but Cora and Angie and Haley were, were taken off the road at that time because Haley needed care and services and support and things that we couldn't get, you know, on the road traveling. So, that was a setback, you know, in that regard. Um, but we, we learned to overcome that. And then several years later, uh, Naomi just turned 20, you know, so she's almost five years younger than, you know, than the other two. Uh, but I, but I'll have to tell you that we were pleasantly surprised, uh, by Naomi. We were not planning to have any more kids. I was told, uh, you know, when we were going through the stuff with Haley, and I've never really told this, I don't think too much publicly, but uh, back in my racing days in the, in the mid nineties there, um, I was dealing with um, a form of a rheumatoid arthritis hmm. that in some cases took me out of a car for days and weeks at a time. Um, Angie and I were told after Haley's diagnosis that there was, there was a possibility. It was never proven. Don't know it, but there was a possibility that some part of my DNA related to my rheumatoid arthritis could potentially have triggered something with Haley to, you know, to, to, you know, to, you know, cause her issues related to uh, her diagnosis with, with being uh, on the autism spectrum. So we took that as we don't need to have any more kids. We can't afford to have that weighing on us. If we brought another child into the world you know, would, would she be facing the same challenges Haley faced? So when we got pregnant with Naomi, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take a break from the, from the deepness of this and just put a little lighthearted moment in there. We were taking all the safeguards, but I was just so damn powerful. Yeah. So powerful <laughs> that, um, you were on the ferry. <laughs> I was on the ferry on running the ferry. 17 mile an hour. Um, <laughs> but you know, so when, when Angie, well, got pregnant with Naomi. It was scary at first. I mean, we had I oh, mean, crying and don't know what we're going to do. How do we do this? How do we do that? And we ultimately decided, okay, we've just got to trust in God <laughs> that, yeah. 
you know, he's he knows best and knows the plan. And, you know, thankfully, knock on wood, you know, Naomi has grown up to be a, you know, a, a, a sweet, I think can't say young lady, you know, but she, she's 20 now. But, you know, it's so neat having kids, um, special having girls, you know, all three of mine, I love them, but, and they bring so much to, to my life and, and Angie's life, but they're all different. You know, Cora's got kind of a quiet demeanor, but very, very smart and a hard worker. Haley, of course, is the, she's the light of our life. You know, everybody, she's around every day. And Naomi is just wide open, no filter, most, the most outgoing, you know, person, probably personality wise, completely different than Cora. Um, but there's nothing like being a dad. That is the one thing that really changed a lot of things for me. And, and, and the ship, you know, the point you brought up, once you have kids, every decision, everything that you do, you have to consider how is this going to potentially affect, you know, uh, positively or negatively uh, my family and especially my kids. So uh, blessed with three beautiful daughters. And I give Angie all the credit. Um for for molding them to the young ladies that they are because I wasn't there a whole lot, you know, back in those days, but they sure are a bundle of joy, you know, these days. And, you know, Hermie, you've just uh, gone through one of yours getting married, you know, and my oldest is engaged, so I haven't experienced that yet. But, you know, I can remember, and I know Hermie does too, and Bill, you're still, you're not empty nested yet, so you haven't gotten to this point. But I can remember, could not wait on for Saturday night to go to eat, go to a dance, go to a party you know, many years ago, and now on Saturday night, I'm excited when both boys are coming home to hang out and watch something on Netflix. You know, the priorities just change. The opportunities for us to all be together at one time, whether it's an hour, three hours, all day down at the lake, that, especially since my dad passed, that is the greatest gift they can give to me. They say, well, Dad, what do you want for Father's Day? What do you want for Christmas? And my answer has simply become just for us to all be together. That's the greatest gift they can give me right now is give me their time. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I always like to reflect. I always like to reflect that uh, back in the back in the day, you know, I, I got married right out of college. Didn't take. I promised myself I was never getting married again. Uh, had basically said, I guess I always wanted kids early on, but never thought I'd get them. And uh, I always said I wasn't going to get married again. I was just going to find a woman I hate and buy her a house because it was the same thing in my mind. And then uh, basically from there, I met Laura and she changed my life. Not just, you know, me wanting to spend the rest of my life with her, but then children. And that completely changed my life. I went from, you know, I could make any decision do anything. If I want to buy a boat, I buy a boat. If I want to go on vacation, I want on vacation. If I want to get another dog, I got another dog. And here you had not just kind of like a company situation where decisions are made, um, not solely by yourself anymore, but these great, big, giant, hairy responsibilities called children that, uh, that changed my whole perspective. And, and now looking back on it, you know, I was pretty selfish in my twenties and, and, you know, when I was free and I could do whatever I wanted to do. And now I couldn't see my life in any other way than, than the way that my children have provided me this kind of sunshine. In the same way, Shep, that you say, right now I'm going through a, a problem uh, with my boy Colin over here. And the problem is this. 
He's 20, going on 21. We're allowing him to use the uh, the family uh, motor coach to see if he wants to live on his own. He, he's thinking about buying a pull-behind and living in a campground closer to his work in Campbell County as a, as a paramedic. And uh, my wife, you know, of course, she's like, you know, they have to they have to spread their wings, fly the coop. And I'm like, no, no, he can live here until he's like 25 or 26. I'm really having a hard time adjusting with him not there every day, even under the schedule that he is where he's doing 24 hours on, 24 hours off. As a paramedic, him not being there has been a crushing blow to me. The thought that my 17-year-old is going to college next year and will not be here is suddenly making me panic. And so now, you know, I want to spend every moment that I can with them when they're home and they have new lives and other things to do. And they they aren't, you know, so much into hanging out with dad like they were before. And dad, all I want to do is desperately go, hey, man, what are you doing? You want to hang out? You know, and, and I kind of feel like a dope, but um, it, it is quite a change uh, from, you know, living free and individual and single to the point where. You know, you don't want your kids ever to leave the house. My wife thinks I'm nuts, but, you know, that's where I am as a father right now. Thank God I've got an 11-year-old where at least I have his captive attention until he turns into a teenager and decides I'm a moron. Like my daughter used to think I was the funniest guy on the planet. Now she thinks I'm a moron. Uh, You know, I'm going through all these things back and forth. And it's really kind of hard on me as a father, um, you know, thinking I'd never would think this way. And yet my life, even though I'm a state senator, even though... Um, you know, I'm a, a lawyer, trial lawyer, travel all the time. You know, I'm starting to see that I'm missing those moments and I don't get them back. My dad used to say why he was so intense when he was homeless because he would be overseas for 11, 12 months, come back home. And I mean, he was super dad, awesome dad. And, and I was just realizing in a conversation with Laura that in the 12 sessions that I've been in the Senate, I've been away from my children. If you put all those dates together, just in the dates when we're in session for over two years. And I won't get those back. So now I'm more desperate to make the time when they are home uh, more meaningful, and they could care less. <laughs> well, you know, one thing that uh, Evan does, he's my oldest, a firefighter. He calls us every day between 8 and 8.30, whether he's just getting to work or on the way home from work. He calls us every day between 8 and 8.30, and that's one of the highlights of my morning just to hear his voice. But, you know, Senator, we have to trust our kids. We have to realize that, you know, the training wheels have come off. Now, again, our kids are older than yours, so we're two different stages. But for mine, the training wheels are off, but they have to realize that I'll always be there to catch them, but it is time for them to pedal the bike. That's a great point. You know, um, you know, Angie, Angie, um, I think has done a great job with my girls in the respect of she was firm and she was a great mentor and authority figure as far as teaching them right and wrong, letting them a little bit to Shep's point, let them find out some things on their own, but also knowing that she was going to hold them accountable or um, there were going to be consequences if they did wrong. Now, Angie was able to accomplish that and at the same time forging relationships with our girls that even to this day, I feel like all three of my daughters, you know, Haley's a little bit special, but especially Cora and Naomi, I think without me prompting them, if you ask them 
who their best friend is, they would both say Angie. Their mama. You know, and so they they have a special bond or relationship. You know, ha- having girls requires the mom to to play a special role. There were certain things about girls growing up that I didn't want. I didn't want to have the talks and all these kind of <laughs> yeah. things. Yeah, I'm said, with you, Angie. You handle it. You do it, and and I just think you know they as a team have done great by which they've been able to go and learn and explore and make mistakes and learn from them and all that. Have a have a a mother and a family unit support system, you know, behind them whether they succeeded or failed, and through all that. As of this last week, when Naomi turned 20, I no longer have teenage kids anymore. Yeah. And that's a sad, sad thought. But but they are all best friends. Like just last night, Naomi came home from college. We had a, like a belated little birthday thing for her. And, you know, Cora and Naomi and Angie, they just, they cackle and laugh like, like they're three teenagers talking about stuff. And it's really, really cool. So uh, given... And, and you mentioned being out of session, being in session, how much time you missed that ultimately 25 years later led me to, you know, giving up a really good paying job, um, you know, with Fox and, and all those kind of things, because it was time for me to not be selfish and, and, and try to give more of my time, you know, to my family, my kids, even at this later time in life. So having kids is tough, but it's, it's also a very rewarding and um, it is nothing like it. And I tell people as they get ready to have their first, you know, first kids and all that, it's just a life-changing experience that nobody can can really explain to you until you go through it yourself. Well, and, and- Hermie, what was it like walking Cora down the aisle? Because neither one, Bill or myself, have never experienced that. What was that like? My daughter's not allowed yeah, to get married. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, you know, I thought I was going to be prepared for that. Um, because Cora and Cameron have been dating since before their ninth grade year of high school and through four years of college and a couple years after that. Hey, Haley. Daddy, I should be easy. Can you take her back to work? She's already here already. Hey, just one minute, okay? I got to finish the podcast. Okay. <laughs> Haley, she needs my taxi cab services. Right. Um, they've So they dated 10 years. It wasn't new. And even after they got engaged, before they got married, they they bought their own house and they've been fixing it up, doing their own painting. And so not a lot logistically was going to change. So I kind of felt like, you know, we'll go through the wedding and go back and do things like we've been doing it. But when I walked up that day and they did this little reveal thing for me and I turned around and saw her in that dress is like it literally like somebody kicked me in the gut, you know, it's like, how did this happen? You know, so I go back remembering, you know, going to Daytona in the bassinet. And I remember, you know, taking her with me across the stage to be announced to, you know, races. I remember fondly a couple of times, you know, we rode with Jeff Gordon was her favorite driver early on. And Jeff and I rode around in the car, you know, the, the, the truck, you go around away to the crowd and Jeff and I happened to be, riding together in the truck and he kind of took a kind of little liking to Cora and, you know, was talking to her and, and all that. And then I'm like, then I, you know, the cheering, you know, the the competition cheering and all the stuff and then college. And then I'm like, boom, here it is. So regardless of the process leading up to it, 
but but it was a okay. Thank you, Haley. <laughs> I Being wasn't fast enough on the taxi service, so she's called somebody else. That's the update. <laughs> um, but even though you plan for all these things and know they're coming, when you see your kids in those moments, it's uh, it's it uh, takes your breath away and it's life changing. But really, really proud of them and what they've doing and what they've done this far and and what they've accomplished. And uh, it's been awesome. Well, it's and, been really awesome. And and let me ask you this. Uh, well. First of all, I, I've gotten to know all three of your daughters. They love and adore you almost as much as Shep loves and adores you, which is saying a lot. Um, but, but um, so I, one of the questions that you know I always struggle with, in in the thing that I struggle with being a dad, and I kind of mentioned it earlier, but I want to get your guys' take on this: is what kind of influence did your dad? play in how you were as a father to your children and how you are as a father to your children right now? Uh, a major influence because as we said earlier on this particular podcast, my dad was firm, but fair. And he just walked in, he just walked in the door. Right on cue. Uh, Big Herm. Right on cue. Yeah. Uh, he was, um, firm but fair and he would correct you when you made mistakes and he would reward you when you did uh when you did good things and so i wouldn't say my parenting style was exactly like my dad's but i think a lot of the same principles and you know that that to me that meant um providing opportunities and rewarding when you took advantage of those opportunities trying to correct when you didn't take advantage of those opportunities. But my dad has always operated under the, it sounds simple. I know it sounds cliche, but be honest, be fair, treat people right. And if you do that, everything will take care of itself. And I've tried to do that with my life and with my kids um, and give them the benefit of the doubt, trust them. And so far um, they have, um, I'll give you an example. You know, I think we could all say growing up, you know, high school years and, and those kind of things, we'd slip off after a football game with some of my buddies and slip a cup of cold beer somewhere, go to the barn or something, you know, and have a beer after a football game or whatever, as long as we weren't going anywhere, you know. And I always thought, I'm being sneaky. I like it. Well, after my high school graduation, you know, my dad got my group together and he went and bought us five kegs of beer from Mitchell Brothers Supermarket here in Emporia, put us down at the barn and said, y'all have fun, but don't go anywhere. Stay right here and have fun. And then we did that. But then after that, I was like, my dad knows that I drink a beer every now and again. What's the use? What's the point? And, you know, then I didn't I didn't care about it that much anymore <laughs> after that. But he, you know, uh, you ha well, I think we've all said this. You have to trust your kids. If you clamp them down too tight, uh, when they do get ready to spread their wings, they, they may uh, they may spread them and you know, not be you know not be the situation that we want. So, luckily in my case, they've all responded well, done great, and I'm proud of all three of them. Shep, what about you? You know, Bill, and growing up, my dad he was a hard worker, self-employed. You know, a, a third or second generation jeweler, uh, but my dad was the coach. He coached every sport. Bless his heart. 
didn't know as much as what he probably should have known uh, to be the coach in new sports, but he was a dad that would step up and do it. And uh, I know he influenced so many of my friends' lives just by being the coach. And, you know, it ended up, it was more the relationships he built that was more important uh, with the kids and with their parents versus winning the game or them actually learning how to hit the ball. So I know when I came along, I coached both of my kids uh, in in baseball. I, I dedicated about 35 years to our local Dixie youth program uh, there. And, you know, I tried to follow my dad's influence and footsteps of how could I try to be a role model and leave some positive impressions, not only on my kids, but, but their friends and, and their, you know, other kids there in our community. And I, I feel like I've done that. You know, one of the, the greatest uh, feelings that I get now is when I'm walking through Walmart or Food Lion and one of my former players comes up and says, hey, coach, you remember me? And, uh, you know, I'm now in the Marines. I'm now married and have a kid myself, and I can't wait to go coach his and her team, just like you coached, you know, coached me when I was coming along. So all of those things I got from my dad uh, in the way that, you know, his work ethic, my dad never missed work. There were no sick, when you're self-employed, there are no sick days. Uh, So I tried to use his work ethic uh, into mine. I tried to, uh, you know, use that to to forge an accountability uh, requirement for my kids, and and just like Hermie, so far mine have have turned out pretty good. There's been a few bumps and a few bruises. That bicycle has has hit a pothole and and wrecked every now and then. But but the bike is still rolling. They're still pedaling, and I'm still there to catch them. And you're a great dad, and that's a great story. Um, I just want to, you know, I know we're running out of time. Hermie's got to go to a campaign event here, but. I, you know, I find myself being an old fuddy-duddy, uh, but the one thing that my dad knew, I think he knew he didn't have the time that he was going to have the time that you've had, Hermie, with your your dad. And so he was just trying to teach me life lessons in the form of parables even. And, uh, and I try to instill those with the children, but I find myself being an old-fashioned guy that wishes there was no internet, uh, wishes there was no cell phones. Uh, and and try to rear them in a way that we were uh, that we were raised uh, because it instills you know family values and and so you know to to hear how you all were raised and how you raised your children especially the perspective that you have based on what your father did in raising you I think is not only enlightening but I think for our listeners for all you dads out there all you moms out there. Uh, the family is so important, and especially in this day and age when the government wants to tear it apart, when there are outside forces that take the attention of our children, where they play inside now on a on an iPad rather than go outside and pick up a stick and act like they're Babe Ruth. Um, so many different ways, to, uh, uh, so many challenges, I mean, that are facing our kids and our parents today. We just have to be fathers, and we have to be good fathers. Learn the good that we got from our dads and moms. Uh, learn from the bad as well we were growing up and ultimately do exactly what is right for our children because that's our legacy and you've heard me say this too Hermie Uh, our children in the Commonwealth of Virginia are our greatest natural resource and if we don't take the obligation of being fathers and dads seriously uh, then we're leaving not just our children unprepared 
but I think society in general uh, is harmed by that. And so I just really enjoyed this conversation about being dads, especially during the holiday weekends, man. Um, it reminds you uh, that life is short and, and that the greatest gift God ever gives us is our children. And, uh, you know, and it reminds you of your own childhood and it makes you respectful to know uh, to have that. So, uh, so Bill, yes. Um, I know how this works when you try to get off the air. I'm going to show you how much trust I've got as a father figure to y'all two. I'm leaving because I've got an event that I'm not going to be late for. And I'm going to let you and Shep close out the show. And this gives y'all the opportunity to have the floor and say whatever y'all want to say about me with me not being here, but I'm not being late to it. I don't, I don't have the uh, luxury of being on Eastern Stanley time. Look, look. So I look. love both of you all. Let me ask you Happy a question. Happy Thanksgiving. This has been a wonderful talk. Wait, and I'll talk to y'all we'll... next week. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> Goodbye. See, Bill, if he had that body, man, he wouldn't have to worry about exactly, it, Exactly, right? exactly. It would have been taken care of. When I was closing it out, and, and so, uh, Shep, I like this He's better. gone. It should be... Uh, it should be Shep and the Senator. Why don't we? Why don't we change the show's name? It could name? be Leaning Right and Turning Left with Shep and the Senator. That says that has a good we'll ring to it. We'll just start a separate pod. Right? Uh, yeah, this one's so popular. Maybe they want some more of us. Uh, they can't get enough of. What and we I'll got come to, to Hermie's office and tape it. Wouldn't that be the funniest thing? Oh yeah, right in front of Hermie, <laughs> and we can get his yeah. you know, little wisecracks in there at the same time. But man, I mean, it is it is the greatest reward to be a dad, and uh, and I came to it later in life. And Bill, it's my great advice, to hear your perspective. my advice to you and the other dads, and and I wish I'd gotten a chance to ask Hermie this because I felt like you know Hermie and I have known each other forever. You you know that, mm -hmm. and all through the years we've remained in contact. And there would be certain times when certain events would happen, I would text Hermie, man, just out of the blue. I can't believe we're old enough to have kids that are doing this or that we have gotten to this stage in our lives. You know, I think we all three of us have been blessed to be healthy and, and live this long and, and have great families. But time right now is our most important asset. Yeah. You know, okay, Thanksgiving's tomorrow. All the family's coming over. I'm going to be cooking None of that means anything to me other than my two boys are going to be there and my grandpa. Let me not forget the dog. <laughs> that is what's going to make Thanksgiving uh, important and special to me. It's not the turkey. It's not the traditions. They're important. I'm not discrediting those at all. But the fact that my two boys are going to be there with Terry and I tomorrow for a couple of three or four hours and we're going to have the opportunity to be together. That is what's going to be special to me. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Even though I love doing turkey and Thanksgiving at our house. My mom's going to see my sister for this Thanksgiving. So I was thinking, man, we can just have the kids. It'll be uh, the five of us. It'll be great. And the wife committed us to going to the in-laws. So uh, so we'll have a big raucous full of cousins and and in-laws and outlaws. And, uh, and it should be a good time. It's always a good time over there. But yeah, I... You know, it's that special moment that you have that never comes back again that yes. makes you want more and treasure those memories that come from those moments in time. And and so I want to wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving, a Merry Christmas coming up. Really get the Christmas and holiday Absolutely. spirit in your heart. Do everything you can with your family while you can do it. And make sure that uh, you love one another because we just, 
as my dad used to always say, son, you're guaranteed it today. You're never given the rights to it tomorrow. And so that's how I've always tried you're to right. live my life, my friend, Shep. And, and you know what? I really like ending the show with you. And it's proper oh, great. and good. Hey guys, listen up. I know these days when you watch the news, it feels like it's one hit after another and it's all bad news for the economy. Well, let me give you some good news. It's not all that bad when it comes to real estate. Let me explain. You see a year ago, man, real estate was hot, hot, hot. Everybody and their brother was trying to go out and buy another house. What did that mean? It was so competitive that a lot of folks got discouraged. So let me ask you, have you thought about buying a house in the last couple of years, but Maybe just couldn't win a bid. I used to hear that all the time. Well, now is the time to buy. Yes, interest rates have creeped up a little bit, but what that's created is an opportunity for you. A year ago, it wasn't uncommon for there to be more than a dozen offers on a home, many of which were over list. That is not the case today. So if you got discouraged once before about trying to buy a new house, now's the time to take another look. Now, yes, interest rates have creeped up a little bit but you're not going to overpay for the home. But here's what you will do. You'll stop throwing your money away on rent, and now you'll get a greater tax deduction. That's right. You see, at the end of the year, you're going to get a statement from your mortgage company that shows how much interest you paid, and you get to write all of that interest off. That means you could get a huge tax deduction. You never get that as a renter. Not only that, homes are still going up in value. Don't believe the hype. All of the economists believe long-term real estate always works out. Let me give you an example. Maybe way back when in the housing collapse of 2008, you bought in 2007 and maybe overpaid. Buddy, if you hung in there, that house is worth a whole heck of a lot more now. If you've played in the stock market, you know what I'm talking about. You only lose money when you throw in the towel. Real estate long-term always performs well. So here's my advice to you. Date the rate, marry the house. Find the house that you and your family love long-term because here's what's not long-term these higher rates. I've yet to see a single economist who doesn't agree with me that rates are going to return. So doesn't it make sense to get the house you want right now? And then when rates improve, man, just get a lower monthly payment. In the meantime, you'll enjoy a greater tax deduction and that property is going to continue to appreciate, meaning you're building equity and wealth for yourself. Not only that, how about this? We're going to save you some cash at buywithconrad.com. We're going to give you the peace of mind of a seven-year guarantee. When rates improve over the next seven years, not if, but when, that's my prediction, we'll refinance you again with no new origination points. Think about that. That could save you thousands of dollars and give you the peace of mind of knowing that you got the right house for your family right now. And then when the rates improve, man, get a lower monthly payment. Now, you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this, but you do need to hurry to buywithconrad.com. That's the first step. You tell us how much you want to put down and what you want your monthly payment to be. We get you approved and then you go shopping just like a cash buyer at buywithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Seriously, if you've thought about buying a house over the last couple of years, but you got discouraged, now's the time to take another look. Let me run the numbers for you right now. You'll be glad you did at buywithconrad.com.